1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the Dead. Meet me on the roof at 9 o'clock. Get yeah. out. I don't believe We're it. We're going to get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Shoot it, man. Now, accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions. Operator dead. Post abandoned. You may never get out of the room. It's everywhere. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center. One of those big indoor malls. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. We've got a war. I'm afraid. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. And <clears throat> welcome, 1978's Dawn of the Dead is the topic today, a long-awaited episode, and naturally we have the most important voices for this podcast on this podcast today. We have Eric Scott Tyler, we have Brian C. Tyler, we have Sean Henderson on today, the consummate co-host, to talk about 1978's George Romero's classic Dawn of the Dead. Gentlemen. Say hello. 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 What do you hear? What do you say? And uh, this is something I think when this podcast started, this is probably on a a short list of probably like five to ten films that we were eventually going to get to. We've talked about it a bunch. There's been a lot of Romero talk on this podcast. We've done a whole episode. We've covered many things Romero related, but we have not yet covered Dawn of the Dead, and it's finally here. And what better way to to cover Dawn of the Dead than on October first to kick off uh, Halloween, the month of Halloween and October in general? Here it is, October first. We're all together. Eric's not here because he moved to Pennsylvania to be closer to George Romero land, and here it is, Dawn of the Dead, gentlemen. When was the first time everyone saw this film? First time I saw it was old Brian C. Tyler over here. You guys saw it together for the first time. 
Well, no, he brought it over via Jeff. Oh, yeah. what year is this? Early 2000s? 2002? When did uh, House of the Corpse come on DVD? That's the day 2003. I then I watched it in 2003. 2003. Brian, oh, was, okay. when was the first time you laid... Late eyes on this masterpiece of a film. I have no memory of the first time I watched it. It just kind of always existed in the ether of your mind? I definitely know I saw it after Night of the Living Dead. And I remember the first time I saw that. Was Night of the Living Dead the first Romero film you saw? No, that was Night Riders. Night Riders was not the first Romero film you ever saw. <laughs> no, yeah, Night <laughs> I actually thought that he was serious for something. Yeah, I did too. I was just like, no way he's fucking serious. Well, yeah, I have no idea when I first saw Dawn of the Dead. That's weird. That's that's comforting, though. It's like it's never not existed. Maybe I did see it before Night of the Living Dead. Maybe you saw There's Always Vanilla first. You know what? You know what probably happened? You know what? Eric and Eric probably rented it or something. Probably. Eric and Chad Halsey probably watched it, and I just happened to be there. Eric, first time you saw Dawn of the Dead. Well, it's funny Brian says that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the first time I saw it, I think I was in... Okay, I'm so bad with years, so I, I associate it with grades. I think I was in, like, ninth grade or something, eighth grade, ninth grade. And, yeah, I used to, uh, me and my old buddy... Chad Halsey used to uh, rent movies a lot from uh, wherever, usually Video King, and uh, we rented uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I had seen None of the Living Dead before that, um, and uh, but I, you know, like you know how sometimes you don't when you're just getting into the stuff, you don't really know like everything about it. So uh, I knew that George Romero's like I recognized the name, but yeah, the first time I saw it was I think like uh, eighth or ninth grade. Watched it. I'm pretty sure BT was there as well. So probably the first time uh, for him as well. I'm a good guesser. So I remember, <clears throat> I mean, maybe it wasn't the first time I saw this, but this is the first time I remember watching it in full and definitely fully realizing it. And I remember it pretty uh, distinctly. I actually watched, I didn't rent it. I, 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 oh, I rented Dawn of the Dead. We. I rented Dawn of the Dead and... Uh, the movie Carpool with Tom Arnold yeah. from the 90s. You, anybody seen that one? I've seen Carpool. Carpool is great. Anyway. Yeah, yeah you're going to you're gonna have to touch on that again because I do want to speak about that. I, I don't know if I know that one. <laughs> yeah, it's got uh, David uh, Paymer in it too. Another, I remember the Ramones being on the soundtrack. Yes, the Ramones, I want to be stated, was a big featured song in that. But So that movie came out in 96 and it was available to rent probably in 97 so this has to be like summer 97 I, and i think it was a few weeks before school started because i remember going to pay less and getting shoes beforehand too i remember this weekend vividly but i got day of the dead and carpool and i watched for some reason i didn't watch carpool that night but i watched ferris bueller's day off for some reason and i remember i remember this being a vivid double feature for me is watching ferris bueller's day off and then watching dawn of the dead for the first time and being like holy shit this is awesome uh <clears throat> mainly for the the simple fact of like how cool would it be to be in a store and be able to take whatever you want right i don't know why that was my maybe <laughs> maybe because i was i was i was urging to go to a mall because at that point i'm gonna be completely honest with you i don't think i did any kind of shopping at a mall in 1997 i was i don't know going into fifth grade or something like that but and I was also buying my shoes at fucking Payless, so 
obviously you could tell that I was fucking, I, I would have killed to go to a mall to fucking rip off some, uh, some Cortez, uh, Nikes. I kind of got to experience that though. Like when during quarantine with the casino being closed, I got the whole casino to myself for right. hours. Yeah. Qu- you know, quarantine, I guess is kind of gave us a little taste of Dawn of the Dead a little bit. I mean, I didn't get to take and there, whatever I wanted from anywhere, but... Then there's definitely Close has enough. been mindless zombies wandering around for the past six months as well, so... Uh, but yeah, I vividly remember that. I remember eating pizza, Dominic's, and Canastota. Shout out to Dominic's. Shout out to Dom- Dominic's, R.I.P. <laughs> definitely got burnt... It was a pizza, pizza place. place. Definitely yes. got burnt down for the insurance money, for sure. Oh, without a doubt. Great pizza, though. Yeah, amazing pizza. So, I think about Dominic's weekly. Um, great blue cheese. You can always judge a place by their blue cheese too. <laughs> you can have solid pizza, but if your blue cheese is shit, you're you're it's going it's a slippery slope. You can open the Halloween gummies by the microphone, Brian. It's fine. Okay. Um, but yeah, so this has obviously been with us for years and years and years. Um, you know, this is Romero. Romero does Night of the Living Dead '68. You know, he goes on to do Night Riders, The Crazies, or Night Riders came out in '81, right? So that was after, yeah. yeah uh, he did what? Like he did like five. He did like five movies in between, I think, right? Between the dead films. So it was the there's always movies. Vanilla, The Crazies, The Crazies, Martin, that, that amusement park movie. That's like, I guess if you're gonna count that. Yeah, it's Season not. Of the Witch. Season of the Witch. Yep. Ah, uh, but. But yeah, so he returns to the Dead franchise. Well, you know, it wasn't even a franchise then. And this is seen as, you know, a, a sequel uh, to to Night of the Living Dead. And it's... Now, by my correlation, it's what's happening in... Because uh, they're in what city? They're in Philadelphia, they say. Are they in Philly? I, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, like the new stuff. Yeah, I think all that new stuff is supposed to be like out of Philly. And the movie opens up at the at the new at the news station, and everyone's going crazy. And that's a great depiction of how I think like an actual newsroom would be going haywire in the seventies with the with a a zombie outbreak. But I guess if this is nineteen sixty eight, is this is this correlating at the same time as Night of the Living Dead, or was this just like a separate out? What what you know? What was this? That I think I, it's he, never clear. It's very ambiguous, right? I think he said like Dawn of the Dead is like maybe a few days later, a few weeks later, and then Day of the Dead is three months later. And yeah, okay. Of the Dead is like three years. I later. think he said that in Document of the Dead. Actually, he might have talked about that. Um, but I don't think any of them are set in a specific time. Like obviously, yeah, it's very when you watch Night of the Living Dead, it's. It looks like the 60s, and when you watch Dawn of the Dead, it looks like the 70s. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, w- w- hypothetically, you know, uh, a week or, or two weeks or whatever outside of the the events of the first, the, first night, the first film, Night of the Living Dead. So you really get, like, we see chaos. George obviously has a cameo as, like, one of the fucking producers yeah. in the newsroom. Vintage George just all got that Evansville beard just chilling. Uh, but yeah, we see, we're seeing chaos. We're seeing talking heads on TV talking about these things get up and kill what they kill. Get up and kill. Those, uh, two guys, 
Foster and Berman. Mm -hmm. That I so I watched some of the presidential debate the other night, and it just reminded me of that. (laughs) Actually, if it would have turned, if see either one of the candidates would have would have immediately pulled me in, and they would have pulled the nation of horror fans in if they would have just quoted (laughs) Dawn of the Dead at that. Biden's with a sick eye patch and wears it. Like I could have seen someone from behind the scenes, like coming up and, and doing the the bunny ears to Trump or Biden. Um, but I thought that I was th- a it's an outstanding opening scene. I think if yeah, if Bi- Sean's on to something. I think if Biden threw the eye patch over his face. And he's just like, and when they're talking about the Proud Boys, and he's just like, these things must be shot on sight. I probably read like. Holy shit, I'll fucking vote for him. <laughs> but he didn't, so I'm not. And I'm not voting for anybody. But regardless, we're talking about things that matter. We're talking about George Romero's fucking classic, 1978, Dawn of the Dead. So we see all the chaos erupting, and this give this sets the tone for the film perfectly. I agree. It was a very like realistic, grounded way to show like the world falling apart from... And I think it's... I mean, all these years later, you're talking... 42 years later right 42 years later yeah it's i think it would it would go similar to the how this went except i think there would be more even it would be even more dramatic because a lot of times in movies you think like oh it won't be that this is sensationalized it won't be that crazy now i think it'd be even crazier all the rights and shit they're going on today like yeah and so we immediately get introduced to, uh, you know, the SWAT teams are all going out, which is something I think we would see in a, the initial, uh, you know, a zombie outbreak. We would see SWAT teams. We would see militarized zones. Um, but, you know, uh, another, there's, if there's one thing I've taken away from this film after rewatching it for the millionth time just today is the amount of memorable zombie scenes, be it, zombies attacking people or zombies getting killed these are the most memorable zombie deaths in any film ever especially when the dude like kicks the door open and just blasts that one zombie straight in the head oh yeah like that like when the when the one zombie like comes in and like bites his wife on the shoulder yeah like that like is one of the most memorable things about the film to me for some reason i i did i did just want to say yeah like i you know obviously we're all huge romero fans and he's obviously, you know, known for the zombie uh, genre. I, I personally think, yeah, like of all the of all of them, including Night of the Living Dead, I think this movie does have the most notable zombie, uh, like no, notable zombies and notable zombie kills. I think that's like that's one thing that he really uh, it really shines in this uh, in this one. Oh, for sure. And so we quickly get introduced, and, and I'm not sure what his filmography before this was because. I mean, I've really only paid attention to Ken Foray from this film onward, but Ken Foray, and if he doesn't come and stake his claim as one of the, like, obviously the best in the genre, but this guy is, uh, he commands the screen whenever he's on it. Yeah, I thought he was definitely the best actor and character, like, in the entire movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like, go ahead. No, go ahead, Eric. I was just saying, he's like... He's such a presence, you know, how we were talking about Night of Living Dead with Ben. I mean, he's another one. He's just a big brooding presence, and he and he really does, like, soak up the screen. His character is, like, uh, I think, like, obviously a lot of great acting, but his character definitely steals the show. I feel like you really uh, connect with him early. Yeah. I, 
I don't know how does George Romero find in in my eyes. I I do wish Dwayne Jones ended up doing more. He didn't. But you end up getting guys in two of your dead films. I mean, a lot of the people in in Romero's films are 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 prolific, but. You get Dwayne Jones, who probably has one of the best acting, a horror acting jobs uh, ever, as Ben in Night of the Living Dead. But then you you go out and you get Ken Foray for Dawn of the Dead, and you get another, like, strong, great acting black presence in your follow-up film in in this Dead franchise. Which it's not a franchise at this point. It's just this is just a continuation of the first film at, at this point in '78. But to have someone as skilled as Ken Foray, I mean, it kind of boggles my mind that Ken Foray does not have like uh, a plethora of awards for his acting on shelves right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, again, we I just talked about this uh, on the bastardization of horror, and that's the whole thing. Like. Mm. I mean, I think you could put Ken Foray's acting up in a lot of the films he's been in, specifically this one, against some of the acting of today in movies like, like, maybe it's just me, but like, I feel like if you had Ken Foray, if Ken Foray existed in 2017 or whenever when Get Out came out, and you had Ken Foray playing like one of those like bigger roles in like a, a movie there. I feel like Ken Foray acts circles around everybody in that movie. That's just me. I just think Ken Foray is that powerful of a presence. I think he is that commanding of a role. And I what what Brian Brian Brian's getting peeved. Brian's getting peeved. I'm not. I just tried to picture Ken Foray in the scenario of Get Out. Wait, how old was Ken? How old was Ken? I mean, he looks a little older. But how old was Ken Foray in '78? Probably like he's only twenty something. I think. Is he? I thought he's like thirty. Let me look this up because I am actually interested to know how old he is at that. Because I feel like for some reason back in the day everyone looked old, even if they were like twenty two. Well, I you feel know? like high school students in '78 looked like they were thirty six. Right, so he was he was uh, he was he was twenty because he was born in forty eight right so or no I'm thinking of Night of the Dead yeah so he's maybe he's born in forty eight so so he was he was probably twenty nine thirty yeah yeah February twenty ninth forty eight so Ken Foray was younger in Dawn of the Dead than we are right now think about how crazy <laughs> that is no and he, I, 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 that's I, what I mean like everybody back in the day just looked older nobody looked young but for. For some reason, when I tried to picture Ken Foray in Tell me Get Ken- Out, it wasn't Dawn of the Dead Ken Foray. It was like Leatherface Ken Foray. <laughs> <laughs> just- it, it, was, it was Devil's Rejects Ken Foray with the pimp suit. <laughs> I just figured like Ken Foray just like wouldn't he just wouldn't fuck around with it like he. Uh, you know, She'd be like, "You want some tea?" Yeah. Nah, I want no he, tea. You just start kicking everyone's ass. I feel like and he just for no reason. He might have. I feel like Ken Frey was better looking than that dude. Uh, we're going off though. We're oh, getting off in yeah, the. We're getting off I, in the. I don't know why he started comparing him to the. Because I liked it. It it elicited the the exact reaction I wanted to. Where Brian's kind of like just getting ready to be like, all right, hold on. But regardless. No, I just listen. I picture Brian was thinking of, of Brian was thinking of uh, he was thinking for of Ken Foray when he was in Keenan and Cal. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we talk about how prolific Ken Foray is. He was the fucking dad Keenan and Cal. Um, we got Scott Reiniger as Roger. Uh, I feel like his character is a very uh, lovable character. Probably the most lovable next to uh, Ken Foray. Um, 
agreed, disagreed? Yeah. No, Galen yeah, Ross's yeah, character just seems annoying the entire film. More annoying yeah. than Judith O'Day and Not a Living Dead. No, I, I read something um, about her character that I guess I never realized or I never knew uh, a while ago. I read this one time, but then I confirmed it, make sure it's true. She like apparently like Romero asked her to like scream in the movie, like in, and be like really scared at scenes, and she like basically told him that like she felt like her character was too strong to scream. So I guess when he asked her, she just like turned him down, and, he never, and so they they like kind of got rid of all, everything that would have been her acting like scared or like screaming or anything, which I thought was interesting. I don't know. It's because the majority of the movie, she's hiding out like in the upstairs of the fucking mall. Well, that's what, I mean, to be fair, I think that's probably what some, like, probably a woman of the 70s might have been. This is pre-Patricia Tallman in Night of the Living Dead 92. You know, there, I guess, I don't think there was a, a strong movement for women empowerment at that point as well. But at the same time, I feel like her character kind of pl- was a little tone deaf for me. Maybe it was because she refused to scream or act erratic. Like if she like grabbed a gun and just started mowing down zombies and was letting off a fucking John Rambo fuck. <laughs> like maybe maybe then I would have maybe thought she wasn't so boring. But I mean, I'm not taking shots at Dawn of the Dead. I'm taking shots at Galen Ross. Uh, it seemed a little like her role was a little boring to me. She was a little. She was even at least with Judith O'Day. As Barbara in Night of the Living Dead, she was at least like, "Where's Johnny?" <laughs> like she was just kind of like, and you know, Dwayne Jones too. Yeah. It's just like, "You stupid white bitch, get the fuck down." Uh, but I just feel like Galen Ross was just kind of like there, and she was more annoying. Like, like Judith Day more has more personality than the chicken. Right? Brother. Yeah. At least, at least you know, Barbara was just like. Annoying and canatonic, but was like still like just like a little a little wild. Was going into her little fits and. Well, she saw her brother die. Yeah, so. she saw her brother die. Yeah, she actually has an excuse, like a I good excuse. Liked her. I totally got what she was going for with her character. What was she? What do you? In your eyes, what do you think she was going for? I think she was much like stronger than than people were. They were sort of taking her for granted, especially her boyfriend, who, you know, he's just like, stay here, you know, do your thing, be pregnant. True, True. she didn't want to learn how to fly the helicopter she, just in case shit yeah, went down. She was like, she was very smart. She wanted to learn how to shoot a gun. She wanted to learn how to fly a helicopter. She was on top of shit, and people were... Oh, the only one who really, like, took her seriously was Ken Frey's character. Like, and no. who flies a, who flies them out on the helicopter at the end? She does. But do well, you Fly, think she was? Flyboy, Flyboy was a dick. What do you expect? Yeah, he's the character that I just I never really warmed up to. I don't dislike him, but I never warmed so, up to him as much. He was my least favorite out of the four, though. So I guess. But I see where you're coming from because I don't think she has like the acting range. Probably, yeah. You're probably right. But I didn't. I I liked her. Um, who do you do you think you're most like? You would be most like her in a zombie apocalypse. Why? Because I'm gay, so I'm like the woman. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I'm... You re- It seemed like you related to her on a level. I feel like you would definitely be like the Buddhist zombie. I think I'd be like Flyboy, except I wouldn't even be able to fly a helicopter. I'd just be totally useless. I would be the the fat Harley Davidson biker that was throwing the TVs around. 
I yeah, I, mean, the, I think too. it's 100% accurate that you would be in the biker gang. Sean would have been the fucking helicopter zombie that got his top of his head clipped off. Hell yeah. Um, like, I'd want, I, I'd of course want to learn how to shoot a gun and how to fly a helicopter, but I would be, I overthink too much, I would crash the helicopter. On my first try, I would fly off the roof into the pavement. The helicopter would explode and I'd be dead. You don't get an extra life like in Vice City, though. No. Um... But yeah, so we get, you know, we get introduced to the Scott Reiner's character. We get introduced to the Ken, Ken Foray is just a, a dominant presence. Uh, and they're like a SWAT team. But I think when I was younger, I kind, it kind of got lost on me that they were even like SWAT. I guess what I, I initially just thought they were like a mil, part of the military or something. Like, obviously, they're wearing the black getup like they're a SWAT te- part of a SWAT team, but... For some reason, I always associated them with the military when I was younger, before I was able, you know, uh, aware enough of what was going on in the film, but... Uh, were they there to go after a gang or to kill the zombies? Because I always get confused with that, too. I think they were initially, they were going after the gang, but the zombie outbreak was happening literally... At the same time. It, it, yeah. Coincided. Uh, which is an interesting... Like, think about how deep that fucking plot is without them even having to go in and explain it. George Romero just puts it out there and you have to, like, think about it. You're like, oh, shit. They're, like, they're there to bust up, like, a like a, like a Hispanic gang, right? Yeah. And Well, well like, a, a gang of color. It, 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 is that... And that's the whole thing, too. Like, is that... It, it feels like there's racial tensions, too, within... Well, obviously, you see with between the SWAT officers... And the one, the one SWAT officer using like uh, uh, racist uh, slur, racial slurs and stuff. Think about how like crazy that that comes around and is prominent even in 2020. Romero has been dead for three years. He's still fucking ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if he should have cast John Apla. Can you say his last <laughs> yeah. name for me? John Apla uh, as the Hispanic dude with the over-the-top uh, makeup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I think there was a better cameo he could have had, but I'm not. You know, it it was a different yeah. time, and George Romero was just a small man from Pennsylvania making. Hey, movies. what's what's better, that that small cameo man or when harsh. he's, when he's the I mean, mime in right? Night Riders? So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, Eric said. Eric said, what's better, that or when he was the mime in Knight Riders? I saw you watching Knight Riders. Mime in Riders. But also, I think Romero gets a pass on the on the brown face because <laughs> R- <laughs> Romero's half Cuban. So if anybody has the authority on that, I guess okay. it's a well, Cuban. No, I'm not it's, saying, it's a Cuban guy. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying George Romero's a racist piece of shit and we should cancel Donna the Dead. <laughs> someone will. Someone <laughs> fucking will. Gonna, yeah, it's going to happen. In that if moment, still alive, I always, it's always kind of distracting. In an otherwise perfect film. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so the whole idea of, and I don't know why, I love when they're flying over, so they, they, they get out, Flyboy, uh, everyone's on there, and we, Flyboy just, he rubs me the wrong way the entire time, but I also feel sorry for him, because I feel like he wants to be cool, and then he finally gets, like, initiated into the cool club when he helps them get over to the fucking doors and they're distracting the zombies later yeah. in the film. Mm-hmm. And Ken Foray is just like, just like, little baby. <laughs> Whatever he says. Uh, also, Ken Foray just has some of the best simple lines in this film. When they're going to get food from like the fucking like, the Amish fucking store or whatever in the mall. 
And Ken Ferrey picks up that bit. I don't the giant even, loaf of bread. The giant loaf of bread, and he just smacks it and goes, Manja! <laughs> I want that chisel, that silhouette chiseled on my tombstone, and him just smacking the bread with the with the blur, the comic blurb over his mouth that says Manja. Since Flyboy grabbed the smaller loaf of bread, and Ken Ferrey grabbed the bigger loaf of bread, where they can That was symbolism. Size? That was symbolism. <laughs> Jesse, remember when uh, he didn't he hit you with a fist of power when we were, when we met him that one time? He's like fist of power, my brother. So, <laughs> so we had the uh, good fortune of first meeting George Romero. It was a a dawn of the dead, and I have a, I'm I'm gonna save the Joe Pilato story, uh, who was in Day of the Dead as Captain Rhodes for uh, when I go on Ready to Retro's podcast this weekend. I'm gonna tell that story, but. So we were there, we waited in this, it was Saturday Nightmares 2010 at Jersey City, great little, um, great little, like, theater where it was at, and we were waiting on the, like, spiral theater stairs to go up and meet Romero, and George Romero was up there, uh, Flyboy was up there, Adrian Barbeau was up there, Ken Foray was up there, uh, so we meet George Romero, we have a great experience meeting George Romero, BT and him are chumming it up over his opera shirt. We take that hilarious picture that uh, we have with George Romero, but then we go meet Ken Foray. Ken Foray is eating, peeling and eating an orange. Just zest, fucking orange zest just flying everywhere. Sparkling his fucking glossy photos with this orange zest. Eating an orange, and he's just like, remember, he's just like, after we met him, he's just like, y'all need to go over there and meet Flyboy. Flyboy's right over there. But, yes, he hit me with the, when I got my uh, Dawn of the Dead picture signed, 8x10 signed by him, he hit me with the, he put his, we fist bumped, and he said, fists of power, fists of strength, my brother. <laughs> and at that moment, I felt I felt like I was uh, eternally cool after that. Ken Foray said, fists of power, fists of strength, my brother, to me. Actually, that might be on my tombstone. <laughs> And BT has a hilarious... I love BT's photo with Ken Foray where BT's like holding his fist next to his. And Ken Foray just... One, he dwarfed all of us because he's just a huge, massive man. But BT just looks so like fragile and awkward next to him. It was great. Because I was fragile and awkward. You still are. <laughs> um, Remember I got my uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 8x10. What, what did he say? Leather face! Leather face! Crazy motherfucker. <laughs> oh my God. But also, Brian, do you remember after that we waited? Brian met AJ. I was like damn near broke, so I couldn't meet anyone else. That's why I couldn't meet Joe Pilato or anyone else. I came there for fucking George and Kenny. But do you remember when we were standing in line behind you while you were waiting in line for Adrian Barbeau and she winked at you? Um, now I do. Okay, now good. I, do. So, I mean, can we tell the John Russo story while we're just while we're here? <laughs> we might as well, because it's all dead universe. So John Russo was there, and I walked. I'm not. Did I see the shirt first, or did you see the shirt first? You you saw the shirt. You said you really wanted the shirt. Yeah, I was. I was literally at my last dollar at that show. I literally had no, literally no more money. I, I was so broke. I had to steal. I had to steal batteries from the 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 Indian shop next to us to fucking get batteries for our digital camera, mind you. We did there was no camera phones that were legit enough to get our photos. We had a digital camera. I also, with us. I do want to point out though that was the the heat of your klepto days. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, so I um, 
didn't have to pay a lot of bills back then. I didn't have a lot of responsibility. BT dropping a cool and, foul at a con. And I also <laughs> didn't really um, plan for the future. So I was a very generous person back in the day, you guys have to admit. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I was like, so I'm. generous you got me in a little bit. Uh, I was going to. I. I. Can you edit this part out? No. no. <laughs> this is so, great. Tell her thank you. She's defending thank, you. We'd never defend thank you. Thank you. I was I I didn't hear her. Okay. Okay. Continue. Um So, I decided to <laughs> surprise my friend Jesse with the shirt that he couldn't afford. It, it was and a Night of Living it, Dead remake shirt from yes, the screening. It was actually really cool. If it wasn't that cool, I wouldn't have done it. I, I still have it put away right there until so we move So I got it from who I thought was a vendor. <laughs> and he asked me if he wanted if I wanted him to sign it. And I just froze up. I'm like, why would I want a vendor? <laughs> In my head, I'm like, why would I want a vendor to sign the shirt? Like, what the? And then I'm like, well, he's obviously a person. This all went through my head. And I'm like, but I don't know who he is, and would Jesse want this random guy's autograph? <laughs> and then he's he was like, uh, never mind, it's it's okay, it's okay. Did I get an autograph though? You did. I feel like no, I was you did. Like, I feel like I was like, oh no, autograph it, please, autograph it. And then I realized after that, BT <laughs> thought John Russo's a fucking <laughs> I realized after that it was John Russo. There was a big banner and everything. <laughs> Screenwriter of Night He's of the like, who the fuck's this guy that wants to sign this shirt? <laughs> I also want I to shout out to him for having one of the sickest Steelers jackets I've ever seen. What's that? I said I want to shout out Russo because he was wearing one of the sickest uh, vintage Steelers jackets I've ever seen. Was it a satin one, right? It was satin, yeah. I remember that. Oh, man. Uh, so anyway, after we, we had to tell those stories. Obviously, it's all related, but... Um, so we quickly, you know, we get a dynamic of, uh, all the characters, like Scott Reiniger's character, Roger is very, uh, you know, fun, like pretty, he's a wild, wild card. He, he, he's a wild card of the group, but he does seem very level headed at first. Yeah, he still is. He's not like, he's not like risking anybody's like lives or anything like that. He's not putting anybody's lives in danger, but oh, himself. Um, well, right. I just think the movie does a good job of making you feel very safe with him. And then he just sort of, he doesn't like Thank really you. lose it, but he sort of gets a little reckless in a way that you didn't yeah, expect for sure. him to when you first watch it, probably. For sure. Everything in this movie always takes me like by surprise every time I watch it. It's kind of like The Craft, okay? So I... <laughs> the new one? No, the original. So I get like I get so comfortable with the ca- characters and I like all the characters that I would just watch them in a movie doing what they're doing right now. And then and then bad shit happens and I'm like, "Oh shit, yeah, this is what the movie's about." Like so yeah. when Ro- when Roger gets bit in Dawn of the Dead and when we're reminded that they're zombies cuz we kind of get comfortable for a little bit just watching them enjoy them all. And I get caught up every time. I'm like, man, I wish that was me. But then I'm like, oh yeah, zombies. I'm getting way off track. No, but... I think that speaks to the film, though. I think mm-hmm. even at one point in the mall, 
when they're kind of like running past them, when they're kind of like teasing with them and going it, and they're just kind of playing like goofy music into it kind of like lets makes the audience put their guard down. But then when Roger gets bit, you're like, oh, fuck, these things still bite you and will kill you. Just like the characters, like the audience gets very comfortable and feels safe, but that was never really the case. Also, last night when I was uh, rewatching it, after Roger gets bit and they put him in the cart to get to the car, I always cringe when that one zombie puts his thumb. Oh, yeah. And, like, blood just squirts out. Yeah. What the fuck? Zombies. So, you know, this, this movie was funded mostly by Argento. Argento liked the idea and and gave him and and funded gave George money to get this movie done. In turn, Argento got you know his own cut of the film too. You know, as a zombie, as you know, zombie. But because uh, there's a, a few different cuts of the film. Uh, obviously, like if you own the DVD right here, we have the ultimate edition. This is just like the sickest thing. So hopefully, they end up coming out on a with a. A 4K, Blu-ray, 12K, six-dick fucking extravaganza pack with the Manja Ken Foray loaf bread fucking box set. Isn't, your, um, can't, isn't that region free? Yeah, I think it is. There is a Dawn of the Dead. Eric, do you remember that Dawn of the Dead box set we saw a while ago that's coming out? It's region free. Yep, yep. It's 4K. And it but, is 4K. I mean, it's $100. But the Xbox is not a 4K player. That one is. That one is? I yeah. have the same one as you. At, at, the Xbox One S is 4K capable. No shit. Yeah. The more you know. Uh, but regardless. Uh, so yeah, the, the movie, it gets you comfortable because they seem so docile and so slow. You know, the classic slow Romero zombie. And then you forget that, oh shit, these things when they're in numbers, they can take you out. And they can take you out quick. And if you're reckless, the way Roger became... Your leg gets bit when you're going down for... They were going down for what? Gas, right? No, they're taking the trucks to block off the entrance. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I mean, right there. And then, obviously, I think the movie takes a turn once Roger gets bit. I feel like the mood turns very somber. Like, it's obviously there's no more, like, joking around. Um... I did think it was funny when they were going around, though, and they were going through the entire mall. And I, why was Rogers pulling down, like, one of those weird, like... He looked like the one rich father from the Goonies wearing that, like, weird weatherman fucking uh, fedora hat thing or whatever. I don't know why that was what he was going for, but... He was just goofing around. He was having fun. He just wanted to show, you know... He's getting wheeled around in a fucking <laughs> radio <Nothing's> flyer. <laughs> I'm still a goofball. Because yeah, after Roger died, like... You have, like, Five Boy and his marriage, like, weirdly, like, falling apart. And the Ken Frazier is by himself as a third wheel. I did think it was... I always forget that there's that random little bit of nudity with Galen Ross, too. It just seems so random. I got the impression that they tried to have sex, but Flyboy is just two in his head. <laughs> oh, when, when she's sitting there with her, like, palm in her, her face in her palm... And he's just like laying there. Yeah, maybe he had some ED. No, I really think he's he is way too in his head this whole movie. Maybe that's he needed his, some blue chew. That's his problem. He is overthinking. <laughs> but yeah, disappointing in the bedroom too. So the whole the whole angle of it being like, oh yeah, consumerism and fuck. 
that that I think that like with Don, with Night of Living Dead, they push this narrative that wasn't necessarily so all the way. Like yes, it was like you know what's the most like human thing? Like what do you you know these these zombies used to be human? So and they mention it. Flyboy says it when they're flying over. Why are they going to the mall? Well, that's probably what they remember doing. Yeah. And that it was is that as simple as that? And they're like. And Romero said, he's just like, it might have subconsciously been like a commentary on consumerism. He's just like, but malls didn't end up blowing up for another couple years. He's like, once the 80s came, the malls ruled the world. So this is, you know, before the mall. So again, again, though, Romero ahead of the curb every time. Absolutely. For sure. I think he, he has a way in, in all of his, a lot of his films to have these underlying, uh, subject matters that like you even say like he doesn't even maybe know that he's doing but it's ahead of its time and i think um this one is yeah i mean i think 100 percent that this has at least a little bit to do with consumerism because you know like i said people uh obviously we know that uh americans love to shop and all these people turn into zombies where do they go they go to the mall so i think that's uh that's definitely in there and and that one scene when when the bikers do raid like so uh, once Roger's dead and then the bikers raid the mall something I never like understood though and I, I'm not sure I guess I it wasn't that I didn't understand it but when the bikers are like throwing the money all around and they're like so happy because they're throwing money around I had the same uh, thought too I'm like why are they taking money when the whole world with this shit yeah now is it a whole thing. That's the whole thing where, like, they celebrate, where they like, yeah, oh, this is fucking funny. Like, look at all this money. It's worth fucking nothing. Or were they still caught up thinking that real life still exists and it's just like, oh, look at all this fucking money. Well, Kevin Frame, Flyboy stole money too. Yeah. You know, just in case. In case the world levels out and the fucking pandemic goes away. <laughs> Not um, gonna. <laughs> they fucking bend the curve. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so if they were. I don't remember that exact. Uh, part of the movie, but were they throwing it around or were they stealing it? They were. Well, they I think they were. They were stealing it, but yeah, they were throwing it up and yes. celebrating, and, and they were they were bagging the piss out of it though. Oh okay, yeah. Well, so we're all, I think there's a state of denial, like care about care about money. So I, it is interesting to when something like that happens and the world's like at its at its ends. Like, do we really still care? But it is funny that they bring it into the film. Oh, well, because yeah, what, what's what's to come of the future? Like, well, will, is money even a thing at that point? Well, let's be honest. If that was us, we would probably steal the money. Too. Oh yeah, that's what, that. I guess what Eric yeah. was saying. Sean, be at work right now. Fucking take. <laughs> if you take the later films into consideration, money does end up being of somewhat value again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so the biker gang, we get Savini. Now Savini wanted to do. The effects on Night of the Living Dead, but he could not because he was going into active duty as a war photographer in Vietnam. So uh, obviously he ends up working with Romero on on other films, uh, most notably um, Martin. Uh, but he finally gets his dead appearance in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And blades, blades. See, I was trying to figure out his name while I was watching last night. Yeah. And, and one of the, probably the most uh, infamous, or infamous, uh, the most famous uh, Romero zombie death is, it's gotta be that, the, the, the fucking machete to the head, yeah. right? Yeah. 
which he. I say that's definitely in his top of uh, deaths ever. Yeah, that that just that scene, and plus they they use that picture on so much shit. They use everywhere it on and everything. Yeah. Well, I I remember years ago when people would post that, and people would be like, "Where the hell is this from?" It's like, motherfucker, you ain't never seen Dawn of the Dead. You ain't never seen fucking <laughs> Ken Foray, Manjo with the big loaf of bread, motherfucker. Big you loaf of bread saying? with Dawn of the Dead, motherfucker. Um. What? Nothing. Keep going. I'm sorry. I'm just cracking myself up over here. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, Savini. The and the, you know what's fun is the red, bl- the super red, red blood, and the zombie yeah. effects were the gray and blue. And I remember showing this uh, to Bridget when we first started dating, and she was kind of like off put by it. And it was only because everything else had come out by then. Like, like Walking Dead was already a thing. All these right. crazy zombie films, which you can't tell me that Dawn of the Dead or or um, well, let's get it straight. Without the George Romero zombie films, Walking Dead is not existent today. And Robert Kirk, Robert Kirkman can say whatever he wants. He fucking he owes everything his ugly bearded ass has to fucking George Romero. Um, I yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, he um. He, there was obviously zombie mil- zombie films before um, Romero, but there was nothing like this. Zombies before were pre- de- uh, depicted in such a different way of being like. Well, that's the thing. It was all it was all voodoo mysticism and yeah, shit. Yeah, voodoo and like slaves. I know there's what is it the the uh, there's a couple zombie movies where they're almost like slaves and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, he definitely brought it to uh, yeah the flesh eating fucking. Well, that's the that's the whole that, thing uh, when people try to seen. like. Yeah, when people try to backhand Bill Gould's up, Romero didn't invent zombies. He created the modern American zombie motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, he come on. If anybody, try, I'd like to hear that argument and and uh, you know whatever about Walking Dead. But yeah, a hundred percent. If there was no, if there was no uh, George Romero, there would have been no Walking Dead. But I, I wanted to touch on the the makeup a little bit because wasn't like. Um, the reason why they did the, the color of that makeup was because of, like, Night of the Living Dead, right? Like, so they wanted to play off that a little bit. And I, I like, wasn't Savini kind of, like, in between because some of them, like, looked more blue than gray or something like that? Like, wasn't yeah. there some sort of yeah. thing about, like, the makeup? an interview with Savini or something where he said he, he wanted them to look grayish because he wanted to bring back that Night of the Living Dead feel. Right. But they didn't come out the way he envisioned it. Yeah. Because, I mean, how could you really know? going from black and white to color i think he was right, saying, exactly. i think he, he was saying too like it wasn't a lot of the shit wasn't drying too so when it didn't dry like for instance when roger dies and you see his face his face is like almost white it's very gray yeah. and white that is how i think they were initially intended but because they were like i think people were perspiring and things like that 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 the makeup didn't really fully dry so it had that bluish hue to it Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I mean, it's dated now. The blood being so red, but that was, I think, that was an homage to Argento and or homage yeah. to just Italian. Jealous. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think I think it's great. I think it's. Uh, I think the contrast of like the bluish, the dark blue gray with that red is fucking awesome, and I think it enhances every like, you know, death scene that that showcases blood. And uh, which is is which is so fun to see. A Romero's 60s zombie movie in Night of the Living Dead where it's black and white and you can't really see anything, but you're you're kind of, you know, create it in your own mind. And then you get this stark contrast in, 
you know, uh, two vivid colors with that zombie, f- that zombie flesh color, that blue gray color, and the bright red blood. And then in Day of the Dead is when it all comes together. Because I feel like as far as effects goes, Day of the Dead is still, I think, untouched when it comes to zombie effects. Oh yeah, for sure. That was like a, they took it, took it to a next level. I feel like you know. Oh yeah, for sure. And you're talking, oh, honing, you know, honing his craft. So he was honing that craft. Yeah, sure. that that's seven years of uh, <clears throat> of uh, advancements too in, in makeup effects as well. So I think yeah, that's where it reached their peak because when you watch like Land of the Dead, for example, it kind of looks like they're continuing off the look from Day of the for Dead. For sure, for sure, with a little, you know, the little. That's what I always liked about Romero, no matter what, with with after <clears throat> after Day of the Dead, he ended up doing Land of the Dead, what, 20 years later, mm. in 2005, and then doing Diary of the Dead in 2007, and then doing Survival of the Dead in 2009. Um, I think those films, he always kept, from Day of the Dead on, he kept the same style and when he would use CGI, he would only implement it here and there. Because it was still... Everyone still had makeup effects on. Practical zombie effects on. But then he would, you know, he would touch in CG as it needed. But it was never overdone. And he adapted enough with the times, but still had his core values as a practical effects filmmaker. And his zombies have always looked great. But it's, it's so fun to go back and look at... Uh, the, I, I guess, uh, I don't know if primitiveness, uh, is the right word, but the primitiveness of zombie effects in 1978, because like you said, Eric, it's a, it's, it's a cool color contrast between the, the, the zombie skin color and the bright red blood. It works for this movie. Yeah. 100%. It doesn't take anything I mean, away from it. Yeah. You, I mean, you, it'd be hard to sell a movie with that shit nowadays. No. Yeah. Uh, but a time and a place, uh, for sure. But yeah, uh, zombie, the zombie kills in this, the, the helicopter clipping the head off the one zombie. Um, obviously the, they had so many different VHS covers for this, but the, the zombie effects makeup for Scott Reiniger, uh, coming back to life is just like classic. There's so many, so much classicness about this film. Right, like. A very memorable scene for me is like when the elevator door opened and the zombies oh, yeah. fucking flyboy. Yeah, that's like yeah. a gif that I see like people Non-stop. post all the time. It's just like, it's classic. It's classic. And and you, you know, one of my favorite scenes, it's always been my favorite scene of the film too, was when Galen Ross is sitting there and she's looking at the guy with the fucking like, I don't even, at first I thought it was a baseball shirt back in the day, but it said like something's fucking auto something. That wasn't a baseball shirt? I don't think so. Yeah, Maybe a baseball glove on. Oh, yeah. No, it was. It, it was. Maybe the baseball team sponsor. It, yeah, it was the sponsor. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's just, like, sitting there. She's just kind of staring at him, and he's just kind of staring back. I thought that was just, like, a, a cool scene where, like, you know, he's, like, she's trying to think, like, is is this person still in there somewhere? Like, right. it's yeah. it was really cool. Like, it's always a concert. Right. Did you check out, Eric? You don't care about Don mm. the Dead anymore? I'm here. I'm just listening. Don't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, also, that was really creepy, too. The two zombie kids in, in the airport scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I was, like, a pretty are, dark... Um, that was a pretty dark scene, actually. Kenny yeah. had to waste them. That's on my nose. Those are uh, Savini's, like, uh, about my nose. like his, his niece and nephew or something, I think. 
Yeah, I, I think I remember that, hearing that, actually. And isn't there, like, something, because they're, like, the only zombies that move fast in the movie? That's a thing, too, right? Yeah. Those the only, yeah, those yeah, are the only so. two zombies that ran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they were youthful, yeah, that's why. Yeah. Those are Savini's, like, nephews, or niece and nephew, or something like that? Yeah, that I thought that was really cool that uh, there was that, like, really dark, uh, you know, wasting zombie kids. Oh, yeah, you got it. Can I just say this about Romero, too, is, like... I know we talked about this before about how he's like just such like the gorilla, like filmmaker. Like, oh so yeah, one hundred percent. So many, so, so many people throughout his movies have been obviously friends, family members, like volunteers, like all those like so many uh, uh, scenes in this movie are just like purely volunteer people getting paid like with t-shirts and like like a couple bucks. I just it's just so awesome. Like I don't know how you cannot love him for everything he stood for and and the amazing movies he makes. Like this movie is such an accurate depiction. What I love about it is like, it's there's super realistic scenes that are like, I, I don't want to say boring. That's not the, the word I'm looking for, but like where they're just living their life in this mall. And like, that's what, you know, that's what you would be doing probably if, if there's a goddamn zombie outbreak, you're with a few people, you, uh, you know, you, you home up in this mall and, and it's, I just love the, everything is super realistic about it. Like, uh, it shows you the transitions of, uh, of what would happen, what should happen, and just the boring parts of it as well. And then obviously we know it gets super chaotic, but um, that's why I think is like this one is just like a legit, like a masterpiece. So yeah, it's and you know what's funny about Romero? Romero really is he's the godfather of independent cinema, and he is a gorilla. He, for all intents and purposes, a gorilla filmmaker too, especially in the early films for sure. That was a good accurate uh description of america but the uh the amount of i don't know just like communal following and support system that i think george romero had within that pittsburgh scene too just seems so strong they were so behind him all the way this movie is completely shot in that area i mean it's all it's all pittsburgh and monroeville nowhere else and like i remember i think it was like was a day of the dead like or like somewhere he had like, like I think like the president of like Carnegie College like asking him to be a zombie like that's insane like, uh, yeah people got behind him and he and he was really like a, obviously the people in that area like really cared and like I said it's just so cool to, to read these stories about people, they're just volunteering or like like it's Savini's uh, nieces and nephews and, uh, a lot of the people like the hunters and shit are just like they're just they're just there they're just uh, doing their thing because they, they got behind it and I think it's so rad. That was a uh, it was something I like uh, I really like uh, more so now uh, because I'm able to kind of like actually break it down and think about it. But I think when that when people think about um, New York and Pennsylvania, like Pennsylvania. I guess people might not know how many different, you know, like dichotomies or like, uh, you know, geographical dis- differences or cultural differences there are within the these states that are in the Northeast. Uh, and something I loved was when they're flying over and that you see all the, as we can relate growing up outside of Syracuse in Canastota a lot of hunters and things like that, like seeing hunters in, you know, uh, in rural, you know, rural parts of Pennsylvania, like people think like when, especially when you say New York too, they think New York city, they don't realize that there's so many different cultures up here. 
Uh, but also, you know, especially down in, in Pennsylvania as well, like when you see like all the camo and the, and the hunter orange, uh, stuff and, and all the hunters and stuff like that, a lot of places in some of these Northeastern states like upstate New York, like, you know, the rural parts outside of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania are sometimes you'd, you'd go in there and you'd be full, you'd be hard pressed to not, if someone, you drop someone off in you know, Evan City or one of those surrounding, you know, uh, areas of Pennsylvania, they wouldn't know that they weren't in, like, Mobile or something, in hunting season or something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I obviously I live in Pennsylvania now. It's, it's uh, and I'm, you know, from where you guys are from, obviously, in Kansas. So they're, they're super similar states uh, in the it's a very uh, eclectic state, of course, but they're very rural. I mean, obviously, you got Philadelphia, you got Pittsburgh, and then you got a lot of, a lot of nothing in between. It's kind of the same with New York. You tell people you're from New York, and uh, they automatically think you're from New York City. But obviously, we can say where we're, where we're from. You drive uh, in two miles in any direction, there's a farm. So exactly. Yeah. So. But uh, something I really loved uh, too about this is so many VHS. I, I mean, so many different VHS covers, so many alternative covers. I feel like this was, you know, this is the one of the last <clears throat> big, huge horror films of when you say like big, huge horror films to end the seventies, I think Dawn of the Dead, I think Halloween. And I'm not sure if I think of any two bigger horror films in the 70s, in the late 70s. Obviously, if you're talking full 70s, you think Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But if you had to say, what are the top five horror movies of the 70s? It's definitely Dawn of the Dead, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, and... The Exorcist. Probably The Exorcist, yeah. I would agree with that fully, for sure. And, uh, I mean... When you think about, I feel like this film is just so revered within his dead films, but in his films in general, I think he's just, it was a very strong release. It was, a, it's a strong film. It, it speaks volumes of the times then in 1978, but also speaks volumes as decades go by. It still, it still speaks to uh, American culture uh, you know, whether it be consumerism or just how people, and that's what kills me when, when people try to, uh, pull the, pull the Lee dungarees of walking dead down and fillet the shit out of the show is they're like, Oh, it's not really about the zombies. It's about how the humans are, are falling apart and how humanity's falling apart. Romero was doing that long before when people are like, well, the, yeah, this is really, or or when they're like, oh yeah, Walking Dead really... No, Romero was doing that in Night of the Living Dead. You know who the biggest villain in fucking Night of the Living Dead is? It's not the zombies, it's fucking Harry Cooper. <laughs> Bunch of yo-yos. And it's, uh, it's just... Uh, I mean, it speaks to George. He was just... He was an innovator. Um, the film is just... I mean, it, it stands the test of time. Even though you could say the effects are a little dated... Um, but it was movie made 42 years ago. What do you want? Uh, but it's just a perfect fall time movie for me. Uh, so, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better. I'm glad that the first two episodes that we've done for October are Chud, which is up now and, um, Dawn of the Dead. 
But what are uh, you know? What do you guys think? What are your closing uh, thoughts on Dawn of the Dead? Yes. Go ahead, Sean. Thanks, Brian. Oh <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, this movie still holds up today. Like I don't care if it's you know forty plus years old. Uh, like I said, if it wasn't for Romero and you know his films, I would never have my favorite video game franchise of all time, Resident Evil. That's and right. If, uh, if and your favorite look, movies. No, video games. <laughs> I rewatched the franchise. Only the first two are really good. I think uh, they're, they're cute. If, even too, like if you look, Romero actually directed a uh, Japanese uh, commercial for Resident Evil 2, which is really rad. Uh, really? Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Wow, that's cool. Uh, this is before Romero was actually was almost attached to the Resident Evil movie. But I remember hearing denied. about that back in the day, yeah. And I, Sean, I remember you having in high school. You had a Dawn of the Dead poster in your wall, didn't you? Did you not? Did I, I thought I thought you I did. I feel like I did. I thought you had a te- I, th- I thought you had a Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I, a Dawn of the Dead one. I saw my te- Dawn of the Dead poster is missing, but I saw my Texas Chainsaw Massacre poster because it's autographed and framed. Yeah, it's in his trunk. Did you get that signed by Gunnar Hansen? Uh, Gunnar Hansen and Marilyn Burns. That's sick. Brian. Well, okay, going going back to what you said about it standing the test of time and the special effects being dated, but who cares? Like, I hate when people say a movie's dated because of the special effects or just really shallow things like the music, the special effects, the fashion. Like, the true test of whether a movie stands the test of time is the story and, and the characters and the dialogue and what the movie's trying to say and the effects that it has on you when you're watching it for sure so that's why i think dawn of the dead stands the test of time because it, it checks all those boxes maybe not for everyone but for us and for, it's a it's our dawn of the dead is comfort food for us 100 it's mashed potatoes for us and obviously most horror fans love it and I know I, I didn't I didn't really have anything to say that hadn't already been said from for my final thoughts, but I just wanted to add that. No, it's good. Well, wait. Okay. Eric. Let me look over Joseph Pilato. Joe Pilato. Is in it, yeah. We didn't talk about his cameo because it's only in the extended cut, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, he's in the movie. <laughs> Again, if you want to hear a great Joe Pilato story, you can tune in to our friends at Ready to Retro next Friday as they do Fright Night 2 with me, and I'm going to share a Joe Pilato story with them. Uh, it's, a, it's a classic. You guys got to listen. Yeah. And it's uh, If you're unfamiliar, they uh, just covered uh, George Romero's Day of the Dead. Uh, I know... Uh, I think two of the three, I think Max had seen it before, and I think Chelsea and Chris had not seen it before, and they had the dude from Podcasting After Dark on there. Um, and, yeah, that's a really great episode. Uh, a shameless plug for our friends at uh, Ready to Retro. Uh, check out their podcast. Oh, sure. Yeah. The Goblin Score. The what? The oh, God. the Goblin score, of course. We haven't they, talked about that. Well, Goblin just a few years ago went and did the entire Dawn of the... No, the, so initially I think they did Suspiria. They did the entire Suspiria soundtrack, but they, right. at one point, I think did one or two shows where they did the entire Dawn of the Dead soundtrack as well. Goblin, of course. Long live Goblin. Fuck yes. I think this movie really showed their, like, talent, their uh, range, because when you usually watch a movie... It's usually Italian that's scored by Goblin. It, it sounds like a score that would only 
work in an Italian horror movie. Right. We'd love it here, but they only do it. I feel like it was almost but, their take on how they think an American film should be scored. Like yeah, the, it was pretty the, damn good, though. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It no, it was. It 100% was. It doesn't feel like it was taken from, like, some Italian movie. They, like, you could definitely, yeah, let's move on to someone else explaining that or Eric, Eric giving his final your, thoughts. Uh, your final thoughts, uh, give us it all. Un- unload unload <laughs> your sack on uh uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously you guys know, and as all of us agree that Romero's my guy, we love him. I think this is per- personally, I think this is his masterpiece. I, I, one of the greatest films of all time, definitely one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Um, you know, uh, the storytelling is great. The cinematography, everything about this is great. Uh, and like I said, I mean, uh, you know, I know it's short and sweet, but yeah, it just it's, the, the film is legitimately a masterpiece. And, uh, if you have not seen it and you are listening, I highly suggest you watch it. Um, there is a couple of things I did want to ask really quick. I thought I'd be remiss not to bring up the remake uh, and maybe get a quick thought on your remakes. And I also wanted to ask if you guys had any specific, because there's so many covers, uh, like, you know, for the VHS or DVD or, or whatever. I was wondering if you guys had any favorite covers. I personally like, uh, if you can recall, there's like a, it's a classic face, but it's a, uh, orange and purple one i think it's the director's cuff like yeah a DVD. that's one of my favorites just because i love that colorway i think it's really cool yeah so for favorite covers actually it's the it's the header i've made for this episode for the the picture i've made for this episode and i'm going to show them and i'll send it to you right now so you can see it but it's very like it looks like a 70s disco ball okay and it was for an anniversary vhs cover and it was it's one of my favorites. Oh yes, yes, yes. This is a, this is a great one. This is like the isn't this the one that has the big bulky case, right? Yeah, that the yeah it's the yeah, that's yeah. the one that BT said they had the fucking clamshell. Oh yeah, it's the clamshell. That's right. Sean's right. Yeah, it's the yeah, one Brian brought over my house back yeah, that's, too. Yeah, you know what? That, that one. Now that you actually bring that one up, that one actually might be the best one. That one's really <laughs> Fuck great. yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just so, there's great art, and it's all like pretty similar, and it has that that zombie. Uh, thing, but that classic, even that classic, like purple going into the light red, and the, oh, when there's no right. more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. The quote above it, like it's just amazing. Uh, some of the best, like you just don't see poster art like this for any film, as let alone horror films anymore. You don't no. see it. Like I'm, I'm sorry. I like all f- four movies of the Hatchet franchise, but they, they're not. Like, come on like yeah, the first hatch movie just a picture of a hatchet yeah like i like those co- i like those covers I, I like the second one a lot i think the second one's art's my favorite but like but regardless we're, you just don't see cover art like this like even that it's just so simple the original dawn of the dead like and i i understand i'm comparing like adam green to like one of the greatest horror filmmakers of all one of the greatest filmmakers of all time so maybe that's not fair uh but regardless it's just it just irks me there's so much like why are why do people just skimp on poster art like i just don't get it look anyway. at all the early 2000 slashers where it's just like the cast on the bottom with like some random image how many horror movies have we went into the video store and picked up just because of the vhs cover a lot just to rent like oh this fucking this is a cool cover fucking dog shit movie cover was sick kind of like it right that was one of the best parts of youth and, and, and renting a movie or something was like just going in blind just you know looking at the cover this looks rad 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, this isn't a great example, but the 13 Ghosts remake, I remember that had really awesome artwork. I remember that, yeah. And, I, well, I feel like a lot of horror fans around our age like that, or a little younger, maybe. 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 a little older. I, that, I hate that movie. What, the 13 Ghosts remake? Yeah. I gotta rewatch it. Lil Dog, Lillard's on it. I mean, it has... Shane Elizabeth? Shane Elizabeth is in yeah, it, isn't she? One of the great actresses of our American time. I'm rewatching American Pie movies huh? right now. But Matthew Lillard, yeah, he's great. But the movie, I feel like it's just doing its best to give me a seizure. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Maybe one day we'll do a podcast on that. Maybe. So, to wrap this up, I think, you know, George, if you really want to hear my thoughts on George Romero, you can go to the very first episode of this podcast. It was a whole tribute to George. This podcast started... Because George and Toby Hooper passed away within about five or six weeks of each other in the summer of 2017, and that prompted this, more or less prompted this entire podcast to really begin. Didn't Eric want to talk about the remake? Yeah, he did. I did, no, I just mentioned it, I just thought, you know, I thought maybe... I liked it. I liked the remake. It was a lot of fun to go and see in theaters, for sure. We sat next to each other without knowing it. Yeah, until afterwards, right? Yeah. I recently rewatched it. It was the director's cut, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I ever did before. I, but I always thought, and I don't usually say this, I always thought it was overrated because I remember just lots of people saying it's one of the best remakes of all time. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of my thing. I feel like people do hold, hold it in pretty high regard when it comes to the, the remake. It, it, it's, it's held in very high regard, but I see why. Because if you don't aren't comparing it to the original, it's very very entertaining movie. Yeah, it's it is a fun movie. I like it. Uh, Zack Snyder did a great job with it. I think it's fucking cool. I like it. I own it. I love it. But it's a good. I will say the that the the best horror remake ever is indeed still a Romero based film, and it's the Night of Living Dead nineteen ninety. <laughs> I said one. I thought I said one of the greatest, right? Yeah, you one. did. No, I, no, I was just saying. I was saying like. It's a great remake, but it's not as good as Dead Ninety. But oh, any anyway, anyway. Uh but yeah, like uh love for that. It was cool homage. I like that they focused a lot on the rooftop. Uh you know, I feel like there was only like a couple scenes in the rooftop of the part of the original Dawn of the Dead, and they had a little bit more centric focus on the rooftop in the remake. I thought that was cool. It was a good remake, but but George, George is just, I mean, there's just never been another director like him. He carved his own path. Like we said, he had a community of supporters and like a family element in the Pittsburgh area. And I feel like I just, I haven't, haven't heard anybody really say a bad word about him. Like anybody that worked with him was like, praised the ground he walked on, said how, what a, what, what a great, uh, you know, person to work with he was and you know george ended up making uh quite a few films but he made probably five to six incredibly important films for the horror genre like incredible like the horror genre would not be can you imagine the horror genre without night of the living dead you just wiped out more than half of fucking the zombie films oh yeah Without Dawn of the Dead, you just wiped out a bunch of more films. Without Day of the Dead, you just wiped out fucking all zombie effects ever. Without Creepshow, you just you pretty much just 
black hole all horror anthologies. I mean, there's there's four right there, and I can think of three more that I think you know are, are just masterpieces as well. And it's just you know, and I know people people might take their shots, like they they might not think that certain films are as good. Maybe you know, Monkey Shines or Bruiser or anything like that. But there's retainment. Uh, I like Monkey Shines. Yeah, so don't I. I enjoyed Bruiser. I, I love Bruiser too. I there's a lot that George. There's a, a long lineage of shit that George left behind, and I think not only did he he create the modern American zombie and laid the ground rules for him and how they look, how they're supposed to move, he gave so many people their start and gave so many people a chance to shine. Greg Nicotero got his start because of George Romero and Tom Savini. Now Greg Nicotero is probably one of the wealthiest like directors of television in current day because of the walking dead <clears throat> and he he pays respect by doing the creep show show as well uh to george and i feel like that you know love for george is never gonna die people like us are still talking about george george has been george romero's been dead for three years we were all uh, uh you know thankful thankfully we all met him um and he just seemed like, you know, even one of the last times that we met him, you know, he was, George was in rough shape and that was probably four years before he died. And he was just signing his goddamn ponytail off at these fucking tables and just doing his thing, man. He was, he was banging them out and shaking hands and kissing babies. And he had his fucking voodoo dolls for sale. And I will say that about George too. George, I think took care of the fans always i mean just by looking even something simple and people might see it see it be it see it and be like oh yeah well he just wants to get money but his table was probably i don't think there's ever been anybody's table that had as much shit to choose from than george romero's table oh he had a lot of memorabilia stuff on his table he never left anything out if you wanted a fucking bruiser eight by ten he had two or three to choose from you wanted a monkey shines. He had two or three to choose from. Creep show, endless. Night of the Living Dead, endless. Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, endless. I got a fucking Diary of the Dead, fucking like it's a weird size. It's a nice, like really glossy print. I got a Diary of the Dead, fucking poster signed by him, and I got my eight by ten signed by him too. Um, but uh, George is uh, he's gonna be sorely missed forever, but. These films are are what makes his legacy solidified, not just in horror, because people want to shit talk and bastardize and fucking not give horror its due. Uh, that's fine, because there's plenty of people, guess what, as great as Robert Zemeckis is, and I love Back to the Future, love Forrest Gump, love these movies, and Back to the Future has its own fandom. That was a bad, like, analogy. Because <laughs> uh, I love Back to the Future. It's one of my favorites of all time. But Robert Zemeckis, like, right there. Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis doesn't have fans like George Romero has fans. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, who's another big director? John Favreau. John Favreau, who's directed, like, the Iron couple Iron Mans, right? And yeah. directed in Avengers. Like, John Favreau, as a director, does not have fans like George Romero has fans. Yeah, fuck you, John Favreau. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. When it boils down to it, 
like I said this to Eric about the bastardization of horror, and this all ties in because George Romero was continuously not given credit when he changed cinema, not just horror movies. Dawn of the Dead didn't just change the horror genre. It changed fucking the film industry for fucking ever. Forever. The movie was created cinema different from 78 on. It's changed because of him and what he did for these films, the people involved, the people who acted in them, the legacy, four fucking idiots, one in Pennsylvania, three in fucking Syracuse right now, talking about how much we love one film, just one right now, we love fucking a lot, one film from 1978, we're talking about how much we fucking love it. Who the fuck is sitting right now with four people talking about how much they love Forrest Gump? I like Forrest Gump, great movie, really entertaining, but how many fucking people have a Forrest Gump poster signed by fucking Robert Zemeckis in their house? None. George Romero, completely different level of fandom. And he changed, along with Wes Craven and Toby Hooper and John Carpenter, they changed cinema, period. The fandom is ten times bigger than anybody that's in that makes drama films or suspense family thrillers or whatever you want to call it. So if you want to go around giving Lifetime Achievement Awards or any stupid bullshit to these nothing happening fucking dumb pricks who are just fucking friends with whoever, Jimmy Kimmel or someone, give them to the fucking people who have real fans that do, that fucking live and breathe for the films, not just watch them because they're on TBS four times a fucking year. I love George Romero. This has been Dawn of the Dead, 1978. I love this film. It changed cinema. Everyone talking on this podcast about this right now loves George Romero, loves this film, and I love the fucking horror genre, and long live George Romero. Long live George Romero. Are you okay, though, Jesse? Yeah, I got fucking heated. I'm sick of this shit. I'm sick of George Romero. People like George Romero that changed cinema not getting their due. But we're giving all kinds of awards to people who did one or two movies that a, a, a couple, you know, would-be predators are in. Anyway, this has been the Hard Guy Media Podcast. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our host site's Anchor. Um, can I say something really quick? Yeah. While we're closing out. Uh, I'm going to shift gears, uh, and I just want to say that uh, the recent Harkod Media post that you uh, you put up, I thought was really, really awesome, um, and I loved everything you said, and I also, I know what, we're all best friends, but I wanted to thank you for letting us be a part of this, and that you started this, and I have such a fun time every time we do this, and I can't wait for the next one. This is all about us, man. It's all about these conversations we've had for years. We just record them and let fucking 17 people listen to how stupid and crazy we are. Here, here. Thank you, Jesse. You ain't got to thank me. Thank George. Thanks, George. Thanks, George. Sean, say thanks, George. Thanks, George.